0: Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, A veil covers their hearts, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Word of God.
1: morning. Oh, that was fine. <laughs> that would have worked. <laughs> so a few weeks ago, I was going to Purelator to drop off something. It was like a return from Amazon. So I went to return it, <clears throat> and on the way back to the car, you know, I was just doing the thing that normal people do. I was looking on my phone, walking back to my car, And I opened the door, and the person says, hey, what are you doing? And looked over, and it wasn't my car. (laughs) I was like, oh, sorry, sorry, I thought it was my car, and I went off uh, into my own car. Has anyone ever done that before? Yeah, some of you? (laughs) Never, right? I thought I would never be that guy who runs into things because of being on the phone or walking into someone else's car because I was so preoccupied with my phone, but I became that person. So it got me curious to look up, you know, how much time do we spend on our phones? And according to this one website, on average, people spend three hours and 15 minutes on their phones per day. Uh, individuals check their phones on average of 58 times a day. And one in five smartphone users spend upwards to 4.5 hours on average on their phones every day. And f- uh, funny thing is most of that time is spent while they're at work versus when they're home. So. And, so, and picking up your phone can become a habit as data shows that half of all screen time sessions begin within three min- minutes of the last. So you picked up your phone, you used to put it down. Only three minutes later will you pick up your phone again. I don't know if you're ever in a conversation, but sometimes you're talking with someone and your phone is out there. And just out of habit, you just go and pick it up to look at it, right? It's not like you're actually looking at anything, but it's like this thing you do. It's almost like a safety blanket, right? You use your phone as a safety blanket. The number one country with hours on their screen time is the Philippines. It was surprising to me. I didn't know. But Filipinos spend 5 hours, 47 minutes per day on their screens, on their phones. Canada, I looked up Canada, we're pretty good. We're at 33 uh, out of however n- number of countries that they surveyed. Is 2 hours and 51 minutes. So we're, we're a little bit better. <clears throat> but what we spend time looking at, what we behold, not only shapes us, but it changes the direction that we are going. This is why we say, look where you're going, because you may bump into something or go into someone else's car. So in our passage today, we see Paul referring to the story of Moses in Exodus 34. This story follows after the first time that Moses went up to Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments. And then he broke it because they were worshiping idols, a golden calf. And here Moses is up again to spend time with God for another 40 days and 40 nights to receive the Ten Commandments again. And when Moses comes down from the mountain after spending time with God, his face was radiating. It was shining with this glow from this time and experience with God. And the Israelites, seeing this, were afraid and they didn't want to come near Moses. But Moses said, No, come, come. I need to share with you what God has said. <clears throat> so, after he would share this, you know, almost like an oracle, he would share what God has told him. Afterwards, he would put on a vase, a, vase, a veil to cover his face as the people were afraid to come close to him while well, his face was like radiating and shining. And so this would become like the practice. Moses would go spend time with God. He would come out with a glow. Moses would uh, then share his uh, message with the people, and then he would cover his face with a veil until he would go back to spend time with God again. And Paul here uses that Old Testament passage to contrast between this this glory that was experienced with Moses and what he called like the old glory and the new. The glory God that Moses experienced where his face shone where through that experience came the Ten Commandments, are in no comparison, according to Paul, to the glory of God that we have access to now in Jesus Christ. Paul gives an interpretation of this Exodus 34 passage to say that Moses put on a veil because that radiation of his face would start to fade. And then so as it faded, he would go back and spend time with God. It would, he would glow again, share, and then he would cover his face because it would f- fade. And Paul does this to contrast between the difference between what Moses and his people had in their relationship with God to that of ours in Jesus. In Jesus, we won't need the veil anymore. uh, uh, Verse 13, we are not like Moses who put on a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. For Paul, even now, when the stories of Moses is read, there is still the same veil that covers their hearts. The Old Covenant, that is the Old Testament, is read by the people of Israel but they have missed the very glory of God that the stories of Moses and the prophets were pointing to. It is only when we are in Christ that the veil is removed and we can be free from this veil that is temporary, that only shows glimpses of the real thing. It's like drinking RC Cola when you want Coca-Cola or having Pepsi, right? Like, when you want Coke, you want Coke. Unless you're a Pepsi drinker, then you want Pepsi instead of Coke, right? So it's, it's similar in the sense that it, it gets to what is supposed to be, but yet isn't the real thing. Verse 18, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In Christ, we are now we now with unveiled faces can contemplate the glory of God. Similar to how Moses was transformed by being in the presence of God, we are also transformed as we contemplate the glory of God. This glory is not just a glimpse of God, but rather is Jesus himself. Jesus is the glory of God as he is the very image of God. To know God the Father is to know, the, to know God the Son. So the effect of Moses' face shining temporarily will become permanent, will become the permanent reality for us who can see Jesus face to face. It's interesting in the story of Moses that before this passage, uh, the writer says how Moses spent time with God as if meeting someone face to face. And then later on, Moses is asking God, show me your face. And God says to Moses, no, you can't handle seeing my face. You can only see the back of myself because to see my face is to die because it's too, you know, too too glorious for you. The funny thing is within that or interesting thing is that within this context, God says to Moses, but my presence will go before you, which literally means face uh, and give you rest. Yet there's these limitations that we see with Moses and the Old Testament and and our ability to approach God is now no more. Paul says that in Jesus Christ, we we do not have to hide behind veiled faces, but with unveiled faces, we can contemplate the Lord's glory. It's as if in Matthew when Jesus is crucified and that veil is torn that veil to the Holy of Holies that only the high priest could go once a, once a year, that Holy of Holies has been f- opened up for the rest of us, for all of us to enter in Jesus Christ. So though Moses' radiance was temporary in Christ as we contemplate Jesus, we will be transformed to the very image of Jesus. As some of you know, we're in this series called postures of prayer, and this week we're looking at how prayer transforms us. Oftentimes we come to prayer, we come to Jesus or to God with a prayer to change God's mind. Yet we quickly realize we can't really change God's mind, but rather God is changing us. Yeah, we go to God with questions and things and, and, and desires that we may have of God uh, for, from God. Yet when we spend time with God in, in prayer, God seems to reflect back to us and speaks to us in ways to say, "What do you really desire? Is that what you really want? Or is there something more and deep, deeper?" We come with God, we often come to God with agendas, and yet God being a patient and all-knowing God knows our hearts and desires and helps us to see the true motives behind what we want and what is actually the best thing for us. And Paul says here that the the way in which prayer transforms us is that as we contemplate the very person of Jesus, we are transformed into his very image. The word contemplate here that Paul uses in verse 18 can also be translated into the English phrase beholding or beholding as in a mirror, which I think is a better translation. When you're beholding as in a mirror, not only are you looking at something, it reflects back to you uh, what you, what you are beholding. To behold something in a mirror is to become the thing that you are beholding what we gaze upon, what we contemplate, what we dwell in, who we give our attention and time to. It is the thing we look at the most that shapes us and molds us. So when Paul says, with unveiled faces, we can behold the Lord's glory, Paul is speaking about about our ability in Jesus Christ to behold the very presence of God that Moses experienced, but more that is unfading, that is permanent. We can enter into the very presence of God and see Jesus face to face ourselves. Jesus is the very image of God, and therefore it is as we behold Jesus, we not only see and meet the very person of God, but that Jesus shows us and mirrors back to us who we really are. It is in this beholding that we are transformed into into the very image of Jesus himself. And Jesus says something similar about our eyes in Luke 11. He says your eye is the lamp of our body, of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. It really matters what we behold because not only does it shape us and forms us, but it also impacts our direction. We can't say I want to follow God, I want to spend time with Jesus, Uh, yet we don't do any of this beholding. I don't know if you know what this is called. uh, Have you ever seen these on horses? Image? Is it there? Oh, it's there, but it's not over there. Okay, right. So these are, you know, I used to think they're called blinders, but they're called blinkers. Uh, and human beings have put blinkers on horses because we know that what they see impacts the direction that the horse will go and, and their state of being. So racehorses, for, for example, have blinders or blinkers on so that they can focus on their goal of getting to the finish line. When, when you see horses uh, with carriages on, on city streets, they have blinkers on so that they won't be distracted by what's around them or, or be spooked by in a busy city. Henry Nouwen has a, has, a, has a great quote about what we look and what we see. But what do we really choose to see? It makes a great difference whether we see a flower or a snake, a gentle smile or a menacing teeth, a dancing couple or a hostile crowd. We do have a choice. Just as we are responsible for what we eat, so we are responsible for what we see. It is easy to become a victim of the vast array of visual stimuli surrounding us. The powers and the principalities control many of our daily images. Posters, billboards, television, videocassettes, this is before uh, iPhones, and, uh, you know, Instagrams or, or the Snap you get, movies and store windows continuously assault our eyes and inscribe their images upon our memories. Still, we do not have to be passive victims of a world that wants to entertain and distract us. We can make some decisions and choices. A spiritual life in the midst of our energy-draining society requires us to take conscious steps to safeguard that inner space where we can keep our eyes fixed on the beauty of the Lord. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, what do we spend our time beholding? What do we spend our time looking at or gazing at? What are the images we choose to see and also to dwell on? I came across this uh, powerful video, and I want to show it to you. But before I do, I want to give you a uh, trigger warning that in this clip, there is a disp- dep- depiction of a death by suicide. And the video is called, "Is Our World by Steve Cutts. Let's watch it together. Some uh, great clips in that video, whether it's uh, people falling into holes or opening random people's doors to that of like the selfie picture. I think that's a powerful one. And um, even the person who, who, you know, jumps and everyone just takes a picture and, and moves on, right? That's become our world. We, what we behold these days is our phones. And our, our phones have become our window to the world and to our soul's It's what we literally gaze upon. It is what shapes us, guides our steps. It has become and continues to be the number one thing that we behold. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displayed the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. The, goddess, the God of this age, or as now one calls the powers and principalities, are blinding us these days as much. They aren't necessarily blinding us much as they're bombarding us with images so that we have no time to even contemplate God's glory. We have no time to spend time looking at Jesus' face because we have way too many images to look at. We have distractions and we have blinkers on through our phones so that all we can do is to be enslaved by By the God of this age, like a horse that is missing out on the world around them, we on our phones are missing out on the beauty that's around us, but also of those who are hurting and are in need of our presence. It's it's like that little boy in the video who's just trying to get our attention. We're just too busy on our phones to help or to support them. Let me just say, though, that phones aren't evil in it in of themselves, right? They're not, they're not evil. And phones can be used for good. We, we communicate with people. We can, we can um, use it to actually spend time with God. So one of the things we do as pastoral team is we use two different apps, that we, which would encourage you to check out later. Obviously, there's the Bible app, but there's the app called uh, uh, Lexio 365, which is a great one, or Reimagining The examine, I think that's the other one. So those two we uh, often use in our staff meetings as a way to uh, redeem, I guess uh, you could say redeem uh, the phone. But I think there is something about being able to also take a break from our phone, especially when we are so addicted to it. That to be able to be in nature and just to sit in, in God's creation, to be able to pick up a physical book and, and flip through it, or to even see a picture not on a screen but on a, on a piece of paper, I think there is something beautiful about that that we could lose just by always just seeing it on the phone. So how do we go about beholding Jesus in this Instagram world? How can we behold the Lord and gaze upon Jesus? and one is through contemplative prayer. The f- the phrase contemplative prayer kind of comes from that passage to contemplate on the Lord's glory. And we have been practicing some of these types of prayer for the last few weeks where we slow down, breathe, and center ourselves in the presence of Jesus. And as uh, we mentioned a couple weeks ago and this week, last week as well, we have a uh, a site on our or a page on our website called Spiritual Practices, where you could go and see the different kind of practices that you can engage in to um, do this. Yet we recognize that it's hard to do so. This isn't an easy practice that like one day you just pick up and do. It really takes work and time and effort to get to a place where you could be silent and still before God. So Richard Foster, a spiritual, spiritual writer, suggests two other ways we can behold God's glory, or to behold Jesus. And one is through nature uh, and being silent with God and creation. And to me, this is so, it resonates with me so much. This is why I love hiking and being in nature. Even, uh, for instance, this past week, I went mountain biking, and, and I took a break, and I went by myself. And I was sitting down, and, you know, I just there's a forest and no one around me. And all of a sudden, this wind picked up. Uh, like, you know, uh, you could say wind of God, but it was was this huge surge of wind, and the leaves started, like, just falling, like, crazy all around me. It was, like, raining leaves on my body, and I was just like, oh, this is amazing. And then, within a minute, it stopped, and there was just silence, and I thought of that uh, passage from Elijah, who said God wasn't in the wind, he wasn't in the storm, but he was in that silence of that gentle whisper. And I was like, God, did you just do that for me? I'm sure it wasn't, but, you know, I was like, that is pretty cool, right? To be reminded and to sit in that, like, quiet space with God. So whether it's, like, the rustling leaves or the sound of the babbling brook, it's one of the the ways in which God, the Creator, has given us a window into meeting with God. Another suggestion by Foster is through music. He suggests that music uh, can help you enter in that, into that place of silence and solitude with God. So so, so he, he does suggest don't pick music that will hype you up. You know, everyone, some, some of us have, have that hype music, whether it's like Eye of the Tiger or whatever else you're into, right? Um, I like the over-the-top. I don't know what song is part of the over-the-top, but I like that song as, as my hype song. but. Obviously, that will pump you up, right? And we know that music has that impact on you. So um, Foster should suggest, pick songs that will help you calm down to be able to center and be with God. Again, Henry Nouwen writes that there are times where he can't pray, when he's too tired to read, too restless and distracted to have spiritual thoughts. Too depressed to find words for God. And it is in those times what he found useful is to be able to sight, to use his sight to gaze at Jesus. And he uses icons through icons. Icons are not idols in that God is not in the paintings themselves, but rather icons are paintings as windows to heaven and a mirror to our souls. The artist's goal is not about making themselves known through these icons, but rather they paint icons with the purpose of drawing the person closer to God. And in many ways, creation, including ourselves, are icons in the sense that we are windows to the creator of all things. So this morning, we want to uh, practice this uh, spiritual practice called visio divina, which means divine or sacred seeing, where we will use our eyes to see and behold Jesus. Um, And this morning what we're going to do is we're going to use the icon of the Garden of Gethsemane. And I chose this painting for a reason because to me the story of Gethsemane is the story where we can learn to be transformed by God. Jesus goes to God the Father and says, Take this cup away from me. I know what you want me to do, but this is too hard for me. I don't want to. It's too painful. And he wrestles and he prays this honest prayer to God. And yet he says at the end of it, not my will but yours be done. And to me, that is the pivotal moment of transformation in prayer. It's that moment when we can wrestle with God, when we can be honest with God, and yet get to a place of surrender, saying, yes, God, I know it's hard. You know it's hard. And I don't want to do it, but yet I know that you want the best for me, so I will, you know, Relinquish. I will submit. I will trust in you and your plan. So to me, this is like the perfect prayer for that. Um, if you want, we have it on the screen. We also have some physical copies that Dale is holding in the back there, or it's okay. In this case, we could use our phones. So if you want, you could scan the QR code uh, on the order of service there. Worship on on the Pews, and under sermon, there should be a link to this um, picture. This is a, um, I'm not going to tell you the artist because then, yeah, that kind of defeats the purpose, but I'll tell you later if you ask. Um, let's, Let's pray and let's spend some time gazing on Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you are the very image of God, that for us to know you is to know God. And so this morning... We come before you recognizing that we have that access, that we have that ability to enter into the Holy of Holies, to be able to sit with you face to face. So Lord, as we spend time now gazing upon you on your face, may you open our hearts and reveal to us uh, just more about who you are. So take a few moments to get comfortable. Close your eyes and take a few deep breaths. Breathe in slowly and breathe out. And gaze at the entire picture. Notice the shapes, the colors, the lighting. Notice what's in the picture and what, what draws your attention. and I'll just read the passage, and as I read the passage, ask the question, how is God speaking to you? What do you think God is drawing your attention to this morning? What kind of emotions are evoked? What kind of memories come to your mind? They went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with them and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further... He fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. As I read a second time, what is God's invitation to you? They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Father, we pray with the psalmist to turn our eyes from looking at worthless things and give us life in your ways. One thing we ask from the Lord, this only do we seek, that we may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Amen.